Right, last week, we started a brand new series called Identity. You just need to watch a TV show. You need to walk through uh, any shopping center like a checkers or a pick and pay, and you glance at magazine covers and just the whole uh, social media shows. Everything is telling you what car you need to be driving, what you need to look like at 20, at 30, at 40, at 50, at 60. Every magazine, every show is just telling you what your identity should be. And we're always kind of caught in what the standard should be, what I should look like, what car I should be in, what house I should be in, what my life should look like, how I should be acting. And the world seems to have figured it out for us, what we should be like. And we're always living in this tension between the truth of what God says, of what I should be, and then how the world is kind of calling me to look like and be like. And somewhere in between, I'm constantly being bashed around and my identity is taking all of these knocks. And so I struggle to know where to go to, to find my worth, to find my identity and to be secure in that. Jeremiah 2 verse 13 highlights this problem for God's people. This isn't something new. You see this throughout the whole of the Old Testament where God says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have done their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so we're constantly fighting this internal battle. Here is what the Lord has done for me. This is who he said he is, this unchangeable, perfect character. And he's always calling me to himself, but I'm constantly rejecting that and going to my own systems to find my own self-worth, to find my own water to drink. But these systems are broken and they can't hold water. They always leave me thirsty and wanting more. This is going to be the battle of my whole life. This is who God says he is. This is the identity he sets up for me. This is the truth that he calls me to, but I keep going elsewhere. This is going to be a problem for us in our faith work all the time. There's just so many things complicating our lives, and we're always seeming to turn away from God and to go to our own things instead of this living water that is always available to us. Last week, we looked at Romans chapter 8, where this incredible aspect of the gospel is that when I come to faith in Jesus Christ, when I accept his incredible salvation, the work that he did on the cross in my place for my sins. One of the aspects about it is the Holy Spirit brings about my adoption. And so by coming to faith in Jesus Christ, he recognizes me as his child. I get to cry out in an intimate relationship with him. I get to call him Father. Again, this is one of the truths that are set up for us in the work of the gospel. Now, because we're always going to struggle with this truth that is set up for us, When we get into the New Testament, this gets taught again over and over because this is such an integral part of our life and our faith journey is knowing the nature of the Father and the identity that He sets up for me. In fact, I think this is one of the most important things that Jesus taught on. And He knew that we're going to battle with this. So He taught an incredible story and told a story that is going to help us really get to know our identity and the nature of the Father. 
So as we're going to take this a little bit deeper, I want you to find Luke chapter 15. This is a parable that Jesus taught. Now, when Jesus taught parables, it's a story about the truth of the kingdom of God. And there are going to be some characters in the parable that reflect who God is and who we are. So whenever you're reading the, the, the Gospels and you come across where Jesus is teaching a story, a parable about the kingdom, you need to figure out who's God, whom I, and he's going to be sharing gospel truths in the form of a parable. Now, it's hard to say which is the most important one because everything that Jesus said is obviously important. And don't dial out if you go, oh, I know this story. I've heard it so many times. I think this might be the single most important thing that Jesus ever said. So from verse 11 of Luke chapter 15, the story of what we know as the prodigal son. So Jesus continued, and here he tells a story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had he set off for a distant country and he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who set him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, context is important. Jesus is in Jerusalem or in the, that area, and uh, he is Jewish, speaking to a Jewish audience. And so when he is telling the story, there is going to be some serious shock horror in how he is describing the actions of this young man. So for him to be going to a distant country, he's not with his own countrymen and uh, Jewish people divide the world into two camps. You're either Jewish or you're Gentile. Jewish, you're clean, you interact with Gentiles, you are unclean. You don't touch someone who is not Jewish, you don't interact with them. Jesus is painting quite a hyperbole here of the actions of this young man. Basically, the subtext of this is all of his actions have led him to a place where he is completely unfit for worship. He cannot enter the temple he cannot come before the presence of the Lord because of his actions. He has completely disqualified himself from engaging into the presence of the Lord. When it gets to he have to feed pigs, imagine gasps from the audience. You can't get worse than this young man for the hearers here. To be in a distant country, to have squandered his wealth and inheritance in the kind of the wild living, and to be having to engage with pigs, and then to even be desiring the food that they are eating. You cannot imagine and craft a story that can depict a person in a worst possible position. It cannot get any lower it cannot be any worse. He cannot disqualify himself anymore from being able to worship or be a young Jewish male. It is as bad as it can be. He's hit rock bottom. He has struck out 
this is bad. And so we know the story. He has a light bulb moment. Because why am I desiring this pig's food when my father's servants have more than this? So let's pick up chapter or verse 17 and we kind of see this. He comes to his senses. There's the light bulb moment. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. I wonder how many of you have had a moment in your life where you need to go have a hard conversation with one of your parents. You've messed up in some way. You've done something and you need to go and deal with this between your parents. And you've kind of worked out in your head how you're going to start the conversation. And so we know he's in a distant country. He's got a long way to travel back. I wonder how many times he played that conversation over and over in his head about having to go and confront the father with his failings. And if you haven't worked it out yet, we're the son in the story. That's who we are. Because this is the issue that we always have as people. Here's the incredible father. And we squander so much of his grace in, in our lives. We've got this living water, but we dig our own broken cisterns. With this identity that he gives us and what he calls us to, we keep turning away. This is a struggle that we do every single day of our lives where we're often going, I know what God has called me to. I know the life that he has for me, but man, I've blown it again and again and again. You can't be a dad, a husband, an employee, or a mom, a wife, a mother. You, you just can't be those things without blowing it. We lose our tempers. We get stressed out at work, and so we go spend time on the internet looking at stuff that we shouldn't. Or it's really stressed out and we've had a rough week and so we drink a couple more beers than we should to numb our stress and our pain or we overeat some of the things that we mentioned last week. We try to find comforts in all of these things that just leave us broken. It might not be as bad as squandering everything like the prodigal son did. It might not be going to rock bottom, but it might be for some of us that we're in this pattern of behavior where we we don't go to the Father, we leave the Father and we go find our comforts elsewhere, but it runs out and it leaves us hungry, leaves us broken. And so he comes back to the Father. But as much as the story is about the Son, it's actually about the nature of the Father. This is why the story is so important and why Jesus is telling us this because the problem is always going to be us, right? If Jesus or if the Father was was, had a changing nature, we'd be done for. But because his nature is unchanging, it's important for us to know the nature of the Father, the King in this kingdom, which is why Jesus is telling this parable and he's using this incredible hyperbole of this awful son and his behavior and just how unclean and unfit he is, but he comes back to the father. And so at the end of verse 20, now you get to see the nature of this father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, we're in this room, so we have had fathers. Fathers can be harsh. Fathers love to say, I told you so. Fathers love to say, what are you doing back here? Fathers love to, to do that, but not this father. Right? This father's different. This father's nature is very, very different. Again, Jewish men don't run. Right? They don't wear clothing that allows them to run. Again, this is painting a very different picture of what a father is like. Remember, this young man is unclean. He's not fit for worship. But the father sees him while he's a long way off. The father's looking out for his lost son and he sees him. His heart wells up with compassion. And because the son is returning home, he runs to his son and he throws his arms around him and he kisses him. Right, the nature of the father is so important when it comes to our identity. The son now, he's prepared his speech. And so the father's arms are around and the father's loving on him. He's trying to get his words out that he's prepared to say to the father to kind of try to mitigate anything that's going to be said. We understand that very well because we've all done it at some point in our lives. Verse 21, the son says to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Right, he's trying to figure out his identity before the father. You can see it, right? He knows how much he's blown it. But he's so desperate, he's got nothing else. So he goes back to the father, but now he's trying to negotiate his new identity with the father. Okay, I'm back. He's before the father. He's confessed everything, but I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. And this is again why it's so important to see the nature of the father here. Verse 22, but the father says to his servants, he's, he's, he's not even listening to his son, right? He's hugging him, he's kissing him while he's trying to confess and, and try and reestablish his identity with the father. The father ignores it. Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. This is so important because the nature of the father here is critical for our identity. Right? You see it. The son is saying to him, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. Allow me to be a, a servant, a, a hired worker here on the estate. But the father doesn't entertain it. What identity is the father affirming in that moment? That he's a son. Does his squandering of his wealth, his wild living, all that he's done to make him unclean for worship, does that impact how the father views the son? No. While the son is trying to reaffirm his own identity and figure out what this looks like, the father just says, my son is home. Let's celebrate. He was dead, but now he's alive. Get the robe, get the ring. Let's make the sacrifice. Let's celebrate because 
he is home. Remember Romans 8 last week. I'm going to read it for us again because this shows the problem. Romans 8 verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that we live in fear again. What does the Son try and do? It goes back to this identity. Make me a servant. That's only what I'm good for. I've blown it. Let me be a servant. He's going back to what he was. But rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Right? Sonship. What does the father affirm? You're my son. He's trying to argue, but I want to be a servant. Father says, no, you're my son. He ignores what the son is trying to do and reaffirms his identity as a son. And so the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. Guys, we can't miss this. Because when we are struggling with our identity, when we blow it, and when we try and come back to the Father and pick up our pieces, after we've sinned, after we've realized, well, I've gone to the dark places to try and meet some broken needs inside of me, and uh, I don't know if you've prayed prayers like, God, if you just forgive me this time, then I will. Yeah, we've done it. God, I know I've done this again. But God, if you just, and then I will. And so we try to do this with God, where we try to renegotiate what our identity is. But the Spirit brought about our adoption to sonship. And so we get to cry, Abba, this intimate word, Dad. And Jesus knows we're going to struggle. Jesus knows. And so he paints this incredible story for us that highlights the extravagant nature of the love of the Father by contrasting it with this extravagant brokenness of his son. And so when they meet, we see the perfect nature of the Father. Guys, to know that I am loved unconditionally at my worst moment, in the worst I could be, in my most broken state, the Father only has love for me. And in my most broken, in my most unworthy, in my most undeserving, he goes, you're my son. I mean, for me, that is just incredible. And, and to know that is to fortify my identity against the call to go to all those dark places to find fulfillment and love and attachments. That when I fall again, I can go back to the Father and talk that out with Him. And once I blow it again, I can go back to the Father. And when I confess that I've sinned again, and I've gone to that broken system again, I can talk that out with Him. And in that moment again, I'm called a son. And I'm loved in that moment. And I receive grace in that moment. Because the nature of the Father means I can attach to Him and know love 24-7, this constant, perfect love that never changes. 
And so I don't need to go to the broken systems. We do. That's the problem. And I think it's because we just always forget the incredible nature of the Father who calls us to attach to Him there. And so this week, I know because my heart is going to want me to go to other places to find fulfillment. This week, I'm going to get stressed. This week, I'm going to get tired. This week, I'm going to get frustrated. I'm going to get angry. There's going to be a pull to go to other places to deal with those emotions. But I get to cry out to my father. And I get to meet him in that place. And I get to experience his love and his sufficiency in that place. So I don't have to go there. I don't have to allow my identity to be shaped by these things which are going to just leave me hollow afterwards. But this week, again, I get to cry out to my father and experience his love at my worst. This week, you might have a really bad fight with your spouse. You might lose your temper. You might say some things that you really regret. You might blow it again there. We have the Father and we get to go back and we get to talk it out with Him and attach to Him there and confess our sin and repent to Him and experience how much He loves us there. And then we can go back to our spouse and repent to our spouse and just say, I'm trying to be better. Forgive me. I blew it this week. We can lose our cool with our kids this week. We can... Uh, overreact with our tempers and, our, and be harsh with our discipline, we can blow it there. But guess what? We can go back to the Father who in our brokenness and in our worst loves us there and calls us sons and daughters, his children there. We can deal with that. We can repent. We can find his love and experience his love. We can go to our vices, alcohol, the internet. We can repent and we can go back to the Father. I'm not saying that's an excuse for us to engage in these things. But because we're always going to our broken systems, the call is let's find our identity in the Father because His nature is one where He sees the Son a long way off. What is His emotion? It's compassion. If you can remember back to Steve's sermon in Exodus, what is the passage of Scripture that is most quoted by the Bible? It's the very nature of God, the God of all compassion. The Bible is painted with the nature of the Father, which is so perfect. Church, the invitation for us this week is can I go back to the Father with all the stuff that I've done? Can I be vulnerable Okay, man, we've just switched off because I said the V word, vulnerable. Okay. Can I be vulnerable before the Father and actually say, God, I've messed up. I'm sorry. And experience his love. Can we open up our hearts and go, God, I need you in my brokenness. The brokenness of my marriage, the brokenness of my habits, my addictions, and actually attached to the love of the Father there in all of our brokenness. That invitation is, is there for us. Some of us don't want to go back 
to the Father. We kind of want to stay at a distance, but that invitation is there for us. And so I like uh, Pastor in America, Tim Keller. When he talks about the story, he, you know, there's two brothers that are mentioned. I've not mentioned the other brother in the story, but he talks about the third brother that's uh, actually telling the story. And there is a sacrifice, there's a, a fattened calf that's killed in the celebration. And uh, let's not forget the sacrifice of Jesus, which is the very reason that we can come back to the Father and experience forgiveness because the son is unworthy. He's covered in, in, in sin and shame and the father hugs him and embraces him because our savior Jesus embraced all of our sin as he became our very sin on the cross and paid the full price for it. So that as Sean prayed and as the worship team sang, as the cross ran red and my sins washed white allows me to be vulnerable before the Father because that uh, death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection is another proof to this amazing love of the Father and showing his nature that I can come to him in my worst. And so we're going to come and have communion now. I'm going to pray and then you come up and you take the cup, which is a symbol of his blood, which was poured out for my sin. And the cracker is his body broken, which should have been me. It is what I deserved. I was the one unworthy. I was the one who was unclean. But Jesus did that in my place. And so, in response, I get to go to the Father, even in my worst. And know that I'm loved as a son. And you know that you're loved as a son and as a daughter. And so maybe this might be the very first time that you've actually just gone, God, this is who I actually am. No pretending, because you know. You actually know the fullness of my heart. But oh my word, I'm actually loved here. And so I just confess to you, God, thank you for your forgiveness, because without it, I'm nothing. I have no chance. But I'm loved in this moment. So Jesus, thank you. And this week, I'm just gonna keep coming back to you because I'm always loved. In my best, in my worst, I'm just loved. So Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you for your perfect love for us. Thank you that in my worst, you call me a son. Because of your work on the cross in my place for my sin, your spirit brought about my adoption to sonship. That's my identity because of what you did. And it doesn't matter what I do or say to you, you don't change my identity because what you did was you called me your son. You made me your son. And I can't blow that. I thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you that I can keep coming back to you, knowing that I am always, always loved. And because of that, my identity is secure. And so I can deal with all this stuff in my heart. And as I deal with it with you, I'm always loved because of who you are. I'm so thankful that you're unchanging. I'm so thankful that you're a God of compassion. And so God, as we celebrate and take communion and we remember what you did for us, Holy Spirit, won't you be so gentle to us 
and help us to be even more vulnerable before you than what we ever have. To be able to lay it all out before you and know that there we're loved, there we're forgiven, that there we're your son, there we're your daughter. Jesus, in your holy name, amen.